0: And a warm welcome to Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold. If you have a need of healing, you've come to the right hour. Dr. Mark Rutland is going to be my guest. He's written a book called Courage to be Healed. It's going to be a wonderful hour. I'm in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. It says, not to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through." all generations forever and ever amen anyway dr mark rutland is my guest today he's a speaker and a pastor and not to mention a new york times best-selling author i guess you could do better than that he's president both of the national institute of christian leadership and global servants he's been married for 50 years lives in the greater atlanta area mark welcome
1: Thank you, Bill. Glad to be back, as always.
0: I love having you. Your book on David, I've recommended it a million times, and uh, I just love that book. It's one of my favorites, by the way.
1: Thank you. Uh, you know, i really enjoyed doing that book and working on it. It's been a sort of a, a life study of mine. Somebody uh, introduced me recently as an expert in Davidic studies, and I said, <laughs> ooh, ooh, I like it.
0: <laughs> that is a but nice I, title. I, I
1: have, I am fascinated with him. I th- I think he's an intriguing character, and and um, it did, that book did really well. Still sells.
0: Still yeah. sells. yeah. Well, as I was uh, keeping track of you on Twitter a couple of hours ago, and if I may just repeat what you said, I find it fascinating, and I'd like some more input from you on this. You said, I see the distress of nations. I see the pain and suffering. I see scandal and deceit and injustice and mindless violence. Of course I see it. I also see the Lord seated upon his throne, high and lifted up, and I am not afraid. Read Isaiah chapter 6. That is fantastic.
1: Oh, thank you. Thank you. That's, uh, that passage of Scripture, Isaiah's call report in uh, chapter 6, has always been a great comfort to me. Um, I'm not hung up on which version of the Bible you read, but in the KJV, there is a word which is, oddly enough, left out of some of the modern translations and and it's the simple word, also. And it really makes the passage work. He he says, in the year that King Uzziah died, in other words, a time of national distress and grieving in Israel. So he's not denying that it happened. He says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord, and he wow. was high and lifted up.
0: That's, yeah. So
1: it's, it's not an accident that God appeared to Isaiah that day as a king, mm-hmm. because uh, God is saying to Isaiah, He's sending him a message. He says, "Look, I I know you're grieving because the king is dead, but actually the king is alive."
0: Yeah, that's fantastic. Now I know you live in the in the greater Atlanta area, and of course I live in you know Minneapolis. So what I'd like to do a little bit is exchange some not only horror stories but also some hope stories.
1: Well, I'm I'm more on for the hope stories. Uh when you say the Atlanta area, I do. I live in about an hour and a half out of town. I live closer to Athens, Georgia. Okay. Um but uh yeah, it's been it's been a challenging time, a very challenging time, but uh but I I really I really do have a great deal of of hope about the future. I'm not just saying that is not a casual statement. Um I'm just about to put a, a tweet online um, of a sermon I preached on Sunday at my son's church and uh, and I'm just gonna I'm gonna just put it out on Twitter the whole sermon a link so that anybody can get it watch it for free download the audio for free I don't care but the whole point of it is that God is a God who loves unlikely things he's the god of the unlikely
0: Okay, that I love. I'd love to hear some more about that. I know you're going to allow our listeners to access the full uh, message, but yep. uh, please keep going.
1: Okay, the, he God operates in unlikely times. Uh, so, uh, what is the if you if you were I were God, God forbid, <laughs> right. but if we were God uh, and we were going to send the King of the Universe to enter into human life. It wouldn't be in a time under world domination of a ruthless, violent, and sexually immoral empire. Um, That's an unlikely time for Messiah to come. Um, If we were going to uh, defeat Egypt and free the slaves, the Hebrew slaves from Egypt, why wait 430 years to do it? That seems pretty unlikely.
0: Excellent point.
1: And and God says, that's exactly the moment I was waiting on. So unlikely times, then unlikely instruments. So again, uh, take Moses. If God says, I need someone to go to Egypt and lead the Hebrew people into the desert. I know who I'll choose, an 80 year old man who's living in the backside of the desert for the last four decades, who can't go back to Egypt because there's a, a warrant out for his arrest for manslaughter. That's the perfect choice. <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. What about Paul the apostle? So God says, all right, I, um, I, I want um, to uh, get someone who will take the, the, the message of the faith that transcends sectarianism so I need to find someone who will take it to Rome and Athens and Antioch and all over the Roman uh, Mediterranean basin, and so I'll choose a guy hates Christianity, is responsible for the death of the Christian martyr, and who's going to all the way to Syria, to Damascus, to arrest Christian Jews there and bring them back to Jerusalem in chains. That's the perfect instrument.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: So. And then, then he has unlikely results, unlikely times, unlikely uh, instruments, unlikely results. So what, what would be the result of sending an 80-year-old man with a price on his head into Egypt? Hmm. What could be the possible result of that? Well, the, the, the creation of the nation of Israel, the freeing of the slaves, the establishment of the Holy Land, all of that. So he, he God loves to do unlikely things with unlikely instruments in unlikely times, so what does all that add up to for right now so here 's what I look at so what if God says, "I want to raise up someone that will preach the gospel of uh, uh, of racial reconciliation and love and grace and forgiveness r- irrespective of any boundaries, and he looks into some a uh, Ku Klux Klan meeting And he says here's this ignorant uh, Low life So stupid he's putting a sheet on his head And God says There's the guy I want There's the guy That's, my, that's an unlikely instrument Or he looks at um, the, These Antifa thugs in the street And here's some Kid crazy with anger Bashing a cop with his skateboard And God says I need someone Who will preach peace and declare the Prince of Peace, and he chooses that guy. So what I'm saying is I'm keeping my eyes peeled for the next highly unlikely instrument in these unlikely times.
0: Wow, that's an incredible perspective, and one that is so helpful for us to be reminded of in terms of how God might use us, everyone listening, Uh, because I think the, the biggest problem that people face is is this dealt that they have, this, I don't know if God could use me. How, how could God use me with Good. what I have? And I, uh, what a great reminder that God is Good. kind of at the margins yeah. looking to see who he can use. Who will say Good. yes?
1: Yeah. We're all pretty unlikely instruments when you totally. think of it. Bill. Yeah. Uh, I, so w- what I say to people is, you think of the lowest moment of your life, the most desperate, depraved thing you ever thought of or did or was ever done to you, and anybody standing looking at the outside would say, it's pretty unlikely God would ever use them. And God, the minute God hears that, he says, that's my choice. That's the one I want. Yeah. And it, it gives me great hope when you see the cities on fire and, and the hurt and the hate and the resentment and division and everything, I'm thinking this is just the kind of time God will show up. I did some research at the time that John Wesley came to England. It was at one of the lowest points in English history, totally economic exploitation. the miners were just dying in the mines. It was at the height of the gin craze. A lot of people don 't know about that, but gin was was to eighteenth century England what crack is to the, in the in, into the inner cities of America and the, and the Appalachian nightmare of uh, of meth and all that, there were there were seven thousand gin bars in London, and there were only six hundred and fifty thousand people. Wow! So, so there was a gin bar for every ninety-two men, woman, children, baby in the city of London in seventeen in the in the end of the eighteenth century. That's a pretty unlikely time for any kind of revival to break out. And one of the greatest revivals in the in the history of the world happened. So through whom? John Wesley. A failed missionary, five feet six inches tall, with an irritating high pitched nasal voice, <laughs> mm-hmm. who was an Oxford Don who was who was n- opposed to almost everything that happened. Under his own administration he he was he struggled with his own revival, and that that's a pretty unlikely instrument and god God shook the world with the Wesleyan revival i think I think this may be just the kind of time when God shows up.
0: You have got me very fired up all of a sudden, thinking that <laughs> that I need to keep my my eyes peeled wide open for that unlikely person that God is going to call to make a, a, a amazing change.
1: I'm, I'm serious about it. It's not just, I know it may sound like hollow talk, but historically, biblically, in every perspective I can find, unlikely moment in American history feels ripe to me. Mm -hmm. But I'm neither a prophet nor the child of a prophet. I'm not predicting that the next great Billy Graham is going to be today's Antifa thug. Mm -hmm. I'm just saying that's the kind of thing that, Everybody else says that's unlikely, and God says perfect.
0: Yeah, yeah. He has shown us time and time again that he will take the last person we would expect to rise into power and authority and to have an influential voice to be that very person.
1: Yes, that's exactly right.
0: Yeah. Now, Mark, I know there's uh, one of your your books, Courage to Be Healed, Finding Hope to Restore Your Soul, powerful uh, message, powerful time to be talking about this because there's so much need for Restoration and for uh and healing. Um, I'd love for you to talk more about that.
1: Well, that's the latest book and I'm I'm really happy with the response to that book. I I waited a long time to write that book. It was one of those ones where I would accumulate research, set it aside, get some more, set it aside. You know, I don't you know how you do, and after about twenty five years you finally just say to yourself, I've either gotta write this book or throw this junk away. <laughs> And uh, so the book came out, the the response has just been phenomenal across every kind of denominational line. First Baptist Church in Woodstock, Georgia, is one of the top 25 Baptist churches in the nation. And they asked me to premiere the book there. And uh, we we sold uh, more books in that one day at that church. A huge, big scale Baptist church so here am I, everybody knows where I am theologically, presenting a book on inner healing at a Southern Baptist church. And I thought, well, this, this is an interesting time. But it is because people know their deep inner needs, right. they're, they're people that are hurt, they're wounded. They're, the, the, and, and the problem is, Bill, a lot of times the church has sent the message that if you can't get it in one trip to the altar, you're not a real Christian. And 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 instead of helping people, we actually add to their hurt. There are things that salvation does, but it does what it does. There are things that the fullness of the Holy Spirit does, but it does what it does. But then the woman who prayed to be saved and asked for the baptism of the Holy Spirit and, and has read her Bible, but she can't get over the fact that from the time she was nine till she was 14, her father raped her. The church has got to have some more message for her. Mm -hmm. There's got to be something else for her. And that's what what I'm trying to deal with, is is inner healing, healing for damaged emotions.
0: Yeah. So, Mark, I'd love for you to talk a little bit more. I mean, maybe describe what inner healing is. I first want to take a little break. But when I come back, I'd love for you to, you know, say what what, that—what does that involve? Because when you say that you went to the Southern Baptist Church and you were talking about inner healing and they— overwhelmingly received your message. I'd love to hear what it was. And um, we'll be right back with Dr. Mark Rutland and his book that we're chatting about today is Courage to Be Healed, Finding Hope to Restore Your Soul. We'll be right back. So glad to have Dr. Mark Rutland uh, with us. He's a pastor, speaker, and New York Times bestselling author. The book we're chatting is his most current. It's called Courage to be Healed, Finding Hope to Restore Your Soul. And we talk about inner healing. There must be emotional wounds, and you even talk about, like, toxic elements of our inner self. Would you say more about that?
1: Yeah, there, there are toxic uh, rivers that flow like, um, like pus out through a life and they, they, they emanate from, from pockets of, of woundedness in some way, rejection, uh, fear, um, the, these, these are highly toxic. Um, so take for example, rejection. People that for some reason or another struggle, some wounds, something inside of them, they struggle with, with rejection and they develop out of that patterns of social interaction that actually force other people to reject them. Hmm. So they act in a way, because they feel rejected, they act in a way to make you reject them so they can kind of glare at God and say, aha, see yeah. there, I told you. And, yeah. and so, so the, the, the therapy for that, for, for rejection, is lies in, in Scripture, in Ephesians chapter one. And that is, we are accepted in the Beloved ephesians 1 says we are accepted so if i can through counseling and teaching and help bring someone to see that they are accepted by god the rejection that they have blamed on others their mother whoever the universe if they're accepted by god rejection is what sw- begins to be swallowed up but it doesn't happen overnight it's a, it's a process of healing
0: i've known uh people who had such a fear of rejection that they would almost go on what I would call a preemptive strike where they would try to go and become offensive to the point that they'd be rejected before the other person could legitimately reject them.
1: Precisely. Okay. That's exactly, that made that's sense exactly to you. what they did. A, pre, a preemptive strike. I didn't use that word. Why didn't I talk to you before I wrote the book? That's okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> yes, a preemptive strike. They They force you to reject them.
0: Yeah and it's so uh, and, counterproductive and mark.
1: Oh, it's it's horrible. They 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 are crippled and they go on crippling themselves. It's yes. their self-inflicted wounds. Yeah. I um I give you another, I'll give you another one. Is uh, it is a fear. Uh all fear rests somewhere in the in the pocket of pain. So it's either pain in the past. So I, I, I'm going to do whatever it takes to insulate myself against the repetition of that pain. Anything mm-hmm. that I have to do to keep that pain from happening again, or oddly enough, more frequently, imagined pain. So this thing, whatever it is, this could hurt me so bad that I'm going to do whatever it takes to keep it from happening, though I've never experienced it, I imagine it's going to hurt me. That's what cripples fear, cripples Decision making, risk taking, relationships, commitment—I can't make commitments. All of those things—and it shrinks one's life. Fear shrinks your life because it's rooted in pain. So, I'll give you an example. Um, I was brought in uh, let, as I start. Let me say one thing, Bill. I do, before we get any phone calls. I do not do any counseling anymore at all, except with ministers who are in crisis. Mm-hmm. So I just want to say that as okay. a start. But um, I, uh, I was brought in to do counseling with an older woman who was suffering from agoraphobia, uh, the fear of uh, agora from the Latin word for a marketplace, from being outside, being with crowds, being in place. She, and it shrinks your life. Gradually she couldn't go out of her neighborhood and she couldn't go out of her yard and now, finally, she's totally in her house. So her grown son, a wealthy businessman, brings me into council with her. So I had to go to her house, right? So I'm going to her house. I began trying to talk with her about safety, that she would be all right in her daughter's car, she, that I began to give her statistics about how safe the local shopping mall was. So I didn't make a dent, hmm. not a dent. And so I reversed the. I started telling her how dangerous it was in her house. I said, "I said, you know, I drive through your neighborhood. You haven't been in this about na- in the neighborhood in a long time." I said, "This neighborhood's getting worse." And I said, "Somebody break in here, rob you, kill you." She said, "Dr. Rutland, are you trying to help? This doesn't feel like help." And I said, "Well, the thing is, you're trying to create a safe space, and there's no safe space." So she said, "Well, what's the hope for that?" And I said, the hope for that is right here in the scripture. Perfect love casts out all fear. And she said, I want to love perfectly. I said, no, no, you're missing the point. Perfect love is not something you do. It's a person. Perfect love is Jesus. Wherever he is, it casts out fear. So we started walking through her house. Is Jesus in the bedroom? Is Jesus in the kitchen? Is Jesus in the living room? Over and over and over again. Finally, is Jesus in the front yard? Could Jesus be in your daughter's car? I mean, some weeks. And I will never forget the day her grown son called me. He was sitting in the driveway on his cell phone. He called, and he was weeping. And he said, Dr. Alton, you're not going to believe it. My mother is standing all alone in the front yard watering the flowers.
0: (laughs) That's so sweet.
1: Because God doesn't want us wounded, beat up, neurotic, fearful, rejected. Uh, he, he He doesn't shame, is it? terrible toxic force shame is probably one of the most desperate of all of all the toxins Mm -hmm. it is a demonic almost thing that gets hold and people struggle with this sense uh i'm disqualified there's something dirty about me there's something bad about me i i'm i'm not as good as everybody else and that that shame is a is extremely crippling the inner wound of that is is constant, and it can it can destroy relationships. That is, that is exactly what Satan does. He he destroys that inner self and deprives us of the healing the healing work of God. And that therapy is always biblical. It mm-hmm. always comes back to biblical. Jesus has taken our shame. We don't have to live with that. But it's it's sometimes it's a process to dig down in there and, and excavate all that stuff, and and it's it's not a fun process.
0: Yeah, we'll take a little break. My guest is Dr. Mark Rutland, pastor, speaker, and uh, best-selling New York Times author. We're chatting about his book, Courage to Be Healed. Uh, we'll take a short break and be right back. Welcome back to the show. So glad to have Dr. Mark Rutland with me. He's a regular guest on the Faith Radio Network. I know he's been on my show and Susie's show, and we just love him. It turns out there's a recent survey that said 100% of all uh, radio hosts want to have Mark Rutland on. So uh, I like those stats. They're very encouraging.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I love those stats too. <laughs> yeah, they're very
0: they're very encouraging stats. Um, but
1: I, I want to. I, I, I love made-up stuff. Uh, yeah, my main thing.
0: yeah, that's what I kind of do is I make a lot of stuff up. But Mark, I want to. <laughs> I want to go back to these steps, these healing steps. Mark, would you th- would you say that the that Satan's strategy would be to try to wound someone at the earliest age possible when you're more I, confused with language and how to process and you know if somebody rejects you for the first time when you're 19, you go eh, whatever. But when you get wounded at such a young age and you can't process yeah. it well, Satan's got almost yeah. a, a little a, a little inroad, doesn't he?
1: Yeah, absolutely. But, I mean, we—that's true for good or evil. Right. If we can, if you can do whatever you can do, the best thing you can do while people are young and their emotions are malleable and t- tender, then then yes, that is Satan's. So that's one of the reasons that all of this um, god-awful damage that's being done to children is being done is because not just what it does to the perpetrator, but what it does to the victim that that is enduring a lifetime of pain and agony after the event that happens is done, gone.
0: All right, Mark, I want to ask you about this these shame feelings uh, and maybe the first uh, step to healing from shame, because obviously there's a lot of people walking around carrying a lot of this around, and it's not God's plan or his design is it
1: no it's certainly not God's plan or design, and he does not he does not want us to to struggle with and and carry that around with us the, so so the first thing we have to do is is like I say through some excavation, dig down and find the source of that shame what is what does it really come from? Why do I feel this and and that is probably the most difficult part of the process of, of counseling or inner healing is reality, facing the truth. What really happened. Call it what it was. Truth is critical in overcoming the issue of shame. And and it's and it's painful. I did a counseling session with a, a man who had really brought his life to close to ruin. He's messing his business up, his marriage, everything. He was angry, highly successful businessman. I hate to use a trite phrase, but very toxic, masculine, you know, over the top, macho guy, everything. But when we began to dig in, and we finally came to the place that he admitted that the summer before he turned 15, a 14 year old boy, he was uh, very violently raped by an older man. Mm. And, uh, and Bill, it was horrible to watch. He, 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 it was like watching a human being just shrivel up. He just—it it was terrible just to go through it with him. And he did not want to use the word rape because he had entered into a deception. And that deception was only a woman can be raped. Mm-hmm. So if it was rape, then who is he? If it wasn't rape, then was there some way in which he was culpable? Was he? Did he not resist? Did he not? If it was rape, who is he? If it's not rape, what did he do? And he was stranded, like like a a ship that's hit an iceberg. He stranded on that deception. Wow. So when we were finally able to bring the place where we say it was rape. Now we're able to place the guilt where it belongs. Mm-hmm. There is guilt, there is guilt, there is shame, but the shame can now go onto the perpetrator and not onto the victim mm-hmm. but Mark- that that process to work through and and really face the reality of what happened and who's really to blame. I'm telling you it's it's uh that's not a work for lightweights,
0: yeah. The story you told of this gentleman, and it sounded like he had this overcompensating machismo, which was, I'm not going to be that raped victim. I'm going to be the guy that is going to overcompensate. And really, once he confronted the truth, he was able to kind of uh, diminish and let go of the shame, wasn't he?
1: Yes. Uh, because self-medication in whatever way you do it, whether it's alcohol or sex or pornography or whatever you're using to self-medicate is always counterproductive because now you've got to deal with, this, with whatever you're using to self-medicate. And what he was using was uh, this – he went into sports right after this event happened. Mm. Well, he played with such ruthlessness, such abandon that, of course, the coaches loved it. But, but he was playing up out of this rage. I, I'll, I'll give you an example right out of history. I'm, I'm, I i i do not want to say it because I don't care to get sued on your radio program, but the mo- one of the most famous of all heavyweight boxers fought with rage. So rage, so uncontainable that, he, that even in the ring, he wasn't just hitting people, he was biting people. Right. And, and that rage happened because of childhood molestation. OK. And 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 that rage, you you fuel this thing. Nobody will ever take advantage of me. Nobody will ever over will dominate me. Nobody will ever control me again. I'll never be helpless again. But the problem is you can't control that. So your wife says, take the garbage out. And it feels to you like she's dominating you. Mm-hmm. So, so you scream at your wife, take the garbage out yourself. She's wounded. She's hurt. She doesn't understand. But you're reacting out of a 14-year-old boy who feels I have no control over what's happening to me. And and it's there are many many men, many women too, who are who self-medicate with over over reaction of of rage. I'm going Nobody will ever control me again.
0: Wow, that's so, so, when I'm,
1: so when interesting. I'm, when I'm dealing with people that are there because of anger. They come to me for anger management. I say, all right. The first thing we're going to find out is, <laughs> what happened to you? I don't know why, Bill. There came some sort of an an assumed and false adversarial relationship between the pulpit and the counseling chamber. That that or between the altar. Let me put it that way. Between the altar and the counseling room. That somehow or another. You ever hear these angry television evangelists railing on counseling? If you you don't need counseling, counseling is not from God, that kind of thing. Whenever I hear that, I always think the same thing. You need counseling. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. And it's it's useless. Uh, Jesus himself is called the wonderful counselor. Right. If he is the wonderful counselor, then why wouldn't he have counselors that do that work? And, and so I see absolutely no contradiction. I'm not talking about secular psychology. I'm talking about biblically-based healing for the damaged emotions that so many people that go to church every Sunday are dealing with stuff inside of them that they need healed.
0: Do they feel threatened that if I get counseling, I'll be suggesting that, that God is not enough? I need extra very- outside help.
1: I think that's a very good point. Part of it is a kind of theological protectionism against the uh, in, in protection of the the salvation experience. If I'm really saved, then I shouldn't need anything else. So the fact that that I if I get saved and I still find that I still find that certain things just trigger me and freak me out then what do I do? I just go back to the altar and get, trying to get saved her and saved her and saved her. <laughs>
2: uh-huh.
1: but, but salvation does what it does. And there, there are still things inside that need that, the touch of a wonderful counselor.
2: Mm-hmm. Look, if,
1: if, somebody comes, if somebody comes to an altar of a church for physical healing, what do we do? We anoint them with oil and lay our hands on them, a human instrument mm-hmm. through, whom, through whom the healing grace of God flows, right? So if somebody needs a touch from the wonderful counselor, then why couldn't there likewise be a human instrument through whom the healing grace of God flows?
0: I agree. I mean, God has equipped and trained so many wonderful men and women who are in a position to offer incredible wisdom and counsel and help people unravel from some of their their decades of, of shame and trauma.
1: I'm not trying to heap shame on anybody either, but I do think there are voices that have kind of made it seem like, if you've found Jesus, you don't need anything else. And what I would say is that's true, but Jesus may be doing more. Mm -hmm. It's all Jesus, but maybe he's got a lot more to do.
0: (laughs) And given the the trauma that some people have gone through, you know, uh, they might be reluctant to talk about it in Christian circles because we get very reductionistic with people. You know, have you confessed all known sins? Have you... You know, prayed the blood of Christ. Because if you, you know, right. if you've done that and you're still messed up, well, then uh, there's no hope for you.
1: Yeah, and then some people lurch the ship so far to starboard they tip it over. and That <laughs> right. is, somebody comes to the, somebody needs help and counseling and biblical truth, and we tell them they're demon possessed. Mm-hmm. So, not everybody who's hurting is demon possessed, uh, and some people biblical. Trained biblical counseling I, you know uh, in the the list of the gifts of the spirit in one Corinthians thirteen you know uh, two of them are plural, and people forget that uh, the gifts of healing it says plural mm-hmm. the gifts of healing Gifts. so why wouldn't one of the why shouldn't one of those gifts be for inner healing for for counseling mm mm-hmm. Well, let's... Well, I hope people I hope people will get the book I really do and I hope they'll read it and and just take it under consideration and it's a it's a soul searching book it's a book that said you know where you go chapter by chapter hey how does that touch my life and it also will help with people saying you know okay wow that's my brother-in-law <laughs> now I, now I see
0: Mark I, I know in the book you you reference uh, Jesus healing the paralyzed man in Luke 5 I wondered if you wouldn't, if you have time, just walk us through that and just show us what that reveals.
1: That's kind of the basis of the whole book, and the uh, that's a very good question. And that's the basis of the whole book, and it's uh, it's the basis of the title. So so here's this, this man who is this one of the most famous stories of Jesus healing, the paralytic man who's lowered through the rooftop. His four friends take him up on the roof, tie ropes around the corners of his blanket, pull away the tiles, and lower him into a packed house where Jesus is teaching. Okay. I, every sermon I've heard on that and every sermon I've preached for years and years and years was always based on two motifs. One is the, the healing power of Christ. Great. Amen. Mm-hmm. And the other, one is, the other one is the faith of his friends. Right? Mm-hmm. Good. Amen. But it dawned on me there's a third variable, and it's huge. It's the courage of the man on the blanket. Look, this was all a high-risk operation.
0: <laughs> you bet it was.
1: <laughs> I, it never dawned on me. What if they drop him? What if they drag him up on that roof and drop him? What if yeah. when they're lowering him in? Furthermore, he spent his whole life—this is not 21st century America with ADA laws. This is a man in first century who's, who's crippled and firm, He's despised. He, he can't work, nothing. Nobody loves him. Nobody cares about him. And— so he's going to be lowered into this room full of, with Jesus, and it says doctors of the law. So what if Jesus said, get that thing out of here? I'm in the middle of my lesson. I mean, we've read, we've read the Bible. He hadn't. So that was, it was all high risk. So at some point in the process, those guys tied the ropes around the corner of his blanket, and they looked at him and said, okay, are you ready? At that point, their faith was not the variable, it was his courage. Mm. And that's what I say, that you can have all the faith to move mountains, but if you don't have the courage to enter into the process, healing will always elude you. The greater issue in emotional healing is not faith, it's courage. To face the truth, deal with the truth, process it. Go through the. Pain. It's it's a strange thing, but the pain of getting healed can be terrible.
0: It's so true. I mean, the whole story, Mark, is so incredible. And you think of these friends that they're they're rip, they're ripping off roof tiles,
1: and their concern, their compassion, they're trying to get their friend into the place of healing. Oh, there's the whole story is pregnant with implications about. Look, we have somebody who's just obviously in distress. Can we act in the faith and compassion to get them there, but then will they have the courage to let the process go forward? Mm-hmm. Will they let me lower them into the present? And, and that's the that's the variable in the story that I missed all those years.
0: Yeah. So, Mark, this is so interesting. If if they're not going through with the courage to get well, why are they staying where they're at? Is there a comfort in misery? Mm, uh
1: well there I don't know there's a comfort sometimes there is a kind of a salacious a salacious delight in feeling sorry for yourself, mm-hmm. but beyond that, I think it is simply the comfort of the known.
2: Yes, I
1: know the misery that I have, and yes. I've lived in it so long. I don't know what it will cost me to get well. I don't know what this will change. I don't know how painful it'll be so the the fear of the of the unknown of being lowered through the roof. Can be riskier than staying twisted up
0: I, I see that it's it's a very big challenge and i I know i i've seen it in the lives of people I know that there is a comfort level they they like playing a little bit of the victim card and they're comfortable in their routines with the people that they interact with, but deep down they they're not they're not where they want to be
1: that's exactly right Man. and I think that I think that uh you know, I, I'm not saying that, that uh, everybody needs counseling, but I am saying I believe that there are people who could benefit from just looking inside themselves and saying, "Okay, I I need this." And that's what this book is. It's not just an effort to get people to go to counseling. Mm-hmm. the The book is about how how can I see where I am and find find resources in this book that will help me personally make some steps forward.
0: Okay. Mark, I want to. Yeah, that's fantastic. I want to ask you about uh, sin and our will and self-deception, and a little bit of flawed assumptions. When I come back, I'm going to take a short break. Dr. Mark Rutland is my right. guest, and the book we're chatting about is uh, his new book called "Courage to Be Healed: Finding Hope to Restore Your Soul." We'll be right back. So glad to have Dr. Mark Rutland as my guest. He's the author of many, many books. The one we're chatting about today is his latest, called Courage to Be Healed, Finding Hope to Restore Your Soul. It's a journey I know you will love taking. I encourage you to get your hands on the book. But I do want to talk, Mark, we've just got to, you know a little bit of time left, but I want to ask about uh, what are some of the obstacles that get in our way of taking that healing step? Is it, is it our own personal unconfessed sin? Is that our stubborn, self-reliant will? Are we deceiving ourselves? Do we have flawed assumptions about ourselves and about what healing might look like? Or am I asking too many questions in a row right now? You tell me.
1: Well, the, the, no, the problem is the answer to all those questions is yes. <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay, good.
1: But, but I would say that the principal one is the last one you named. It is flawed assumptions. Okay. Um, another, another way... Another definition for righteousness is right thinking, and so un- unrighteousness, in a way, is is twisted thinking. Twisted thinking makes twisted lives, and and they get the wrong view, the wrong concept of things. What if I get to thinking, um, God God doesn't care about me. God doesn't. He, he may care about everybody else in the world, but He doesn't care about me. That toxic poison of that flows into everything loneliness, fear, isolation, rejection, anger. If I'm angry because I think God doesn't love me, God doesn't care about me, I'm angry at God. Um, I I had a pastor say to me one time, he said, I've got a man in my church that is so angry at me, he can hardly even talk to me. And I said, Pastor, he's not angry at you. He's angry at God. Hmm. He wants to punch God's lights out, but he can't find God. He just knows where your office is.
2: (laughs) Uh-huh
1: and and so yes, sometimes it's, it's trauma from the past that I, I I will tell you something that I've discovered over 40 years of counseling and, and it's this: the ability of the human mind to bury trauma, to absolutely submerge it and dismiss it and, and, and bury it and to go into total and complete denial and even create a whole nother narrative that's the exact opposite of what happened. It is absolutely huge, Bill.
2: Mm-hmm. It's that
1: that ability is huge. I and I, I used to think people were just lying. But it's it, there's a difference between not excavating the truth and lying. And I've seen people come to the place where they finally pull it up out of the ground and call it what it is, and it's it's almost horrible to watch. Mm-hmm. And, and and so yes, sometimes it's deception. Sometimes it's wrong thinking. Sometimes it's bad theology. Um, the the you know people who grow up in cults like the Jehovah's Witness and things like that. Sometimes the inner healing that they need to get out of that is remarkable, just because bad thinking has been poured into them, like you said, from the time they were malleable children.
0: Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's very, um, it's a a big, it's a, it's a big job, a big issue, and it's a God-sized problem that can only be solved by God, that's for sure.
1: Yes, and, uh, I, uh saw a picture the other day not the church where I preach Sunday the church where I preach Sunday I didn't see almost any of them but I saw a picture of people in a church the there that and they all had on masks and maybe mandated by the government I don't know but I just it just made me chuckle because I thought they may have all been wearing masks it's only now we can see them
0: <laughs> right right so well said i had a guest on probably five or six months ago, and he was referencing a friend of his who had written a book, and I can't tell you the name of the author, but I can remember the concept, and maybe you know what I'm talking about, but he was talking about a pain ladder, and I've been thinking about this for months because he talked about at the bottom of the ladder is the hurt, and the hurt causes pain, and if the pain doesn't get resolved, it creates frustration, and if the frustration builds and builds, it turns into anger. And he would say that you're not as angry as you are. You're really frustrated because you don't seem to have worked through your issues. Do you find that resonates at all?
1: Yes. And I think uh, furthermore, I would say that is true. And I would just add to it one other thing. It's very crippling because I do whatever I can do now to avoid that pain happening again. Yes. So, so if there's something that you, say, some action you take I, that's perfectly innocent, but somehow or another, it clicks, it arches over the terminals in my emotional bank. And what I see is my father reaching out to slap me off of the table. Mm-hmm. And uh, you you don't look like that. It's nothing, but it's something like that. Then, Then all that pain ladder explodes in me. Because I'm, what I'm trying to avoid is, is getting back to that bottom rung. I don't want to deal with that. The problem is to get healed, that's where you have to go. Mm-hmm. You have to go to that point of the inflicted pain. What was the initial thing that causes this ladder of frustration, hurt, and anger, and fear? And, and that's, that's why I say it takes courage to be healed because you, going up that pain ladder is one thing, going down it is another.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Marcus is there a, a healthy boundary? Yeah, I'm going to just make this up as an ex- illustration. Let's say my dad and my brother died in a whitewater rafting accident. And now 25 years later, friends of mine, they loved a whitewater raft. They say, hey, come on. I'm going, eh, I don't really want to go. Mm-hmm. And they go, what? You haven't gotten over that thing? I mean, come on, you're living yeah. in bondage. Let's go. To which I go, no, it's really a healthy boundary for me not to participate in that in that activity. I'm okay with that.
1: Yeah, yeah. There... In the first place, your friend, your friends are being highly insensitive. Okay, and and uncaring. Uh, uh, on the uh, uh, on the other side, I, I would say there are places where we can just say, uh, this. I mean, I'll give you and let me switch examples on you okay alcoholism I can be completely healed of the bondage of alcoholism but I don't need to hang around liquor stores
0: perfect much better than my illustration
1: and, uh, unforgiveness is one of the major toxic poisons by yes. the way in life uh, unforgiveness toward others not condemnation towards yourself that's another one by the way but, but unforgiveness toward others if, if you are molested as a child to forgive the person who molested you heals you. It doesn't do anything for that person. Mm-hmm. It doesn't change anything about them, but it heals you. Yeah. On the other hand, you're not required to let them babysit your children.
0: Right, exactly. So yeah, you know, I, that's a wonderful answer. I, yeah,
1: I, I, yeah, I fired a guy one time who, who stole money from my ministry and I fired him. And he was broken. He said, oh, Dr. Mark, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Can you ever forgive me? I said, "Oh, you're forgiven." I said, "Listen, I I want to tell you I forgive you." He said, "Can I have my job back?" I said, "No. <laughs> Absolutely not. I forgive you. I'm not I'm not hiring you to handle the money." No, right. no. So, yes, there are proper yeah. limitations and boundaries that have nothing to do with how healed you are. Right. That those those are reasonable protective devices. And other people around you need to learn to be more sensitive.
0: Right. I appreciate that distinction. So thank you for um, answering that question. Um, I appreciate that, and I appreciate your time. Your new book, uh, Courage to Be Healed, Finding Hope to Restore Your Soul, it's written by Dr. Mark Rutland. He's been my guest the whole hour, and I've just uh, been absolutely delighted to have him as a guest. And I encourage you to go check out his book, Courage to Be Healed, Finding Hope to Restore Your Soul. Mark, thanks for doing the show.
1: Thank you, Bill. Always good to be with you, man. Thank
0: you so much. Well, can you believe it? That's the show for the day. A lot happened today. Really nice to have Dr. Mark Rutland for a full hour. That wraps up our show. Have a great night, everyone. As you lay your head on the pillow, just know that God's working out His great plan in your life. See you tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.